It's time to break the silence and open up the dialogue around the topics of miscarriage and baby loss. No more shame. No more taboo. Let's ditch it for the sake of our children. The ones who are, the ones who will come. And in memory of the ones who never came to be. This is the Worst Girl Gang Ever podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Worst Girl Gang Ever. We are so lucky to be joined here in the studio by Lane. Hi Lane, thanks so much for coming. Hello, thank you for having me. Welcome. It's lovely to have you here. Um, now, I can't remember when we first started chatting to you um, about coming on the podcast. We're a bit of a nightmare about getting people on um, and, and and getting it getting it done quickly. We're um, yeah, just very busy at the moment, aren't mm. we? Mm. Lots of balls. Very busy juggling. I mean, not yeah. you know actual balls. Not bollocks. No well, bollocks. That as well. No bollocks. Just bollocks. <laughs> so it's it's great to finally um, have you on and to be able to learn a bit more about your story. So do you want to start from the beginning and tell us how you became a member of the most glorious shitty gang there is? <laughs> well, thank you for having me. Um, so um, I suppose to explain what happened. So um, I had my experience, my loss at the end of 2021. Um, but to sort of explain how that happened, I probably need to go back. So I had my son um, in 2018, um, and I had he, he was born by an emergency caesarean. Um, and so then, when he was about 18 months old, I came off the came off the pill, and sort of decided that we would see if we could try again, or at least not prevent anything and just see what happened. Um, I had a bit of a rough time having my son, so. Um, I wasn't, I didn't feel strong enough to say, right, we're definitely trying and go fully into it. But I also wanted another baby. So we thought, okay, well, I'll come off the pill and we'll see what happens. Um, And then I became pregnant at the end of that year. So um, late 21, uh, like November. Um, And yeah, found out I was pregnant and was was really pleased. Um, Quite nervous about having to uh, go through it go through pregnancy again and you know possibly have another cesarean but didn't really think um anything of it and certainly didn't expect uh quite you know anything to to go wrong I think I was quite naive in that aspect having had my first child didn't actually think that you know there'd be any problems or anything um which makes me feel a bit silly now but (laughs) there you go (laughs) um and then Mm. I I must have been about six weeks six or seven weeks pregnant and then um, I was at work and I was just sort of finishing up to come home because so I had to do nursery pickup and um, noticed that I was bleeding a little bit. You know, as I'm sure, you know, most pregnant women do, you know, when you go to the toilet, you always check. Um, and yeah, there was, there was a bit of blood. So I was, you know, a bit confused because I hadn't experienced that in my first pregnancy. So, yes, that was uh, the start of how I realised that something wasn't right. Mm. And what did you do? um when when you saw the blood what was what were your first you know that what, what firstly what went through your mind and then what were your actions that you took I think I was just a bit confused because you know I'd, I'd heard before you know you might get a bit of bleeding I'd you know heard other people's stories and stuff so I didn't think at that moment that something was definitely wrong but it definitely felt like a bit strange because that wasn't my experience for my first pregnancy and I had something to compare it to so it seemed really strange um, so I left yeah. work and made my way home and I called the doctor's surgery because I wanted to get a bit of advice, I wasn't sure. 
um, and spoke to a receptionist who I think meant very well, but unfortunately was um, probably slightly unhelpful. Um, she sort of asked me, you know, how much is there? What colour is the blood? And I answered her. And then she said, you know, it's not fresh blood, so you're fine. Don't worry about it. Um, and I came off the phone and picked up my son and went home for the evening and tried not to think any more about it. Um, and then the next day, well, she didn't suggest anything else no I mean I'm sure she meant well and you know I, I'd even read online if you know if it's brown blood it's you know it's not fresh it's probably fine um so you know I don't blame her for that but um yeah she um, did you get any advice about what happened if it got um got worse or um I don't think so I can't remember I don't think so I think she just said you know unless it's red blood uh, unless it's fresh then then you're then you're you know it's fine that's normal um and then I just felt a bit silly really and came off the phone (laughs) it's so difficult isn't it because we we can basically find whatever we want to find on google and I think there's such a strong sense of you just want to find something that's going to make you feel better don't you and and it I know from my experience I would search even after I found out that our baby had died, I would search like ridiculous things, trying to find the story of someone who they got it wrong, you know, all that yes. sort of stuff. Because yeah. it's sort of inbuilt, I don't know what it may, I don't know what it is, but it's like a a complete obsession with trying to make it better yourself, I think. But trying yeah, to find absolutely. that story, that trying to find that miracle. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So what ha- what happened after that? Take us through what happened next. Um, so the next day, so I was actually off the next day um, and it was starting to get a bit worse. And I said to my husband, like, I'm a bit I'm a bit worried about this, but I'm not really sure what to do because if, if I'm not supposed to be speaking to the doctor, then I don't really know what I do now. Um, and then that evening, so it was obviously we were coming up. So now we must have been in, must have been sort of late November, early December. So it's Christmas time. Um, and we were taking my son to see some of the Christmas lights around the area. And... Um, and on the walk down there, I'd sort of called the receptionist again and said, I really need to speak to, like, I really need to speak to a doctor. And they said, okay, they'll call you back. And then he called me back while I was like standing around other families, like looking at these Christmas lights. So it was like really, it was really odd, surreal situation. So I sort of walked away a little bit mm-hmm. um, and, and sort of, you know, talked it through with him. And he obviously asked all the questions and everything he needed to know. And at that time, I didn't know anything about cesarean scar ectopics and didn't know, um, that was even a thing um but I remember saying to him oh you know um just for my history I've I've had a cesarean um you know a couple of years ago could that be affecting anything you know is this normal after a cesarean he and obviously you know it wouldn't it's not the first thing that jumped to your mind so he said no no that's fine um but thank you for you know let me know um so I said okay and then he said right we'll um refer you to the early pregnancy unit um so this was on the Thursday now so he said okay you'll get a call um asking you to come in so I said okay come off the phone and sort of carried on again um and then on the Friday didn't get any phone calls so we went off to see Santa Claus and and have that visit with my son um and then on the Saturday morning I was really starting to get quite panicky so I, I called the EPU up and said you know have you had the referral when when would I be coming in so I said okay come in on Monday so um, all that weekend, it was starting to get worse. And I was starting to get like sort of, you know, clots and stuff. Sorry, a bit TMI, but um, starting to, you know, get worse. Never TMI. I know. TMI on the So 
uh, yeah, so we went to we went down to see some family on the Sunday, and at this point, it started to get like a lot worse, and it was fresh blood. So I thought at that point, I thought, okay, I know what's happening. This is a miscarriage. That that must be what's happening now. Um, so we sort of packed up, went home, and waited for that next morning, and then you know went down to the hospital in the morning um, for, for them to scan me. And we were, you were we, I think it must have been sort of right at the end of all the COVID restrictions. So my husband wasn't allowed in right until they did the scan. So he had to wait on the other side of a door um, while I went and sat in the waiting room and then sort of got called in, went through my history and then he was allowed to come in. Um, but yeah, I, I, the, I suppose the COVID aspect has, has made that all that experience, you know, harder for everyone. But, you know, having to sit there on your own while you're waiting to go in is yeah. awful. Um, that was in 2021. Yeah, this was right. At the end. So was that was it, uh, you know when Christmas was cancelled? Was that that year? It was the following year. Yeah. So by this point, you were allowed to go out and about. You were allowed mm. to meet people, but in the hospital, he still wasn't allowed in until the scan. And actually, when I had my surgery, he couldn't come in at all. Um, so I was completely on my own then. But I mean, at least he could come in for the scan, I guess. So they they called him in. Um, and then she was doing the scan. She was very nice, very lovely to me. Um, but she sort of said, um, "I'm, I'm going to." She said, "I'm going to show you on the screen. This is where your pregnancy should be." Sort of in the, I don't know. I'm, I have no understanding of the medical terms. So I'm sort of just explaining how I remember it. But in sort of what I suppose the cavity of where it should be. And here's your scar. And here's where the pregnancy is. And she said, "You know, it's extremely rare." but it could mean that it's attached or too close to your scar tissue. Um, and at that point, she hadn't told me if there was a heartbeat. So I, I just said, is there, is there a heartbeat? Um, you know, is the, is, is the baby alive? And she said, yes. And I thought, oh, so I, what, what, is, what does this mean? Like I didn't, I at that point hadn't realised it was, you know, clubs and ectopic, didn't really understand what, she was saying to me mm. um and then I just got really really upset and like burst into tears and she asked me what was wrong and I just said I'm really scared because I don't I don't understand what's happened I just didn't understand what was happening um and mm. she I mean she was lovely and obviously my husband was there so that was you know really helpful um and then she said in terms of like the measurements that the baby was measuring behind and you know could my dates be wrong and I said no absolutely not um my my now I know it's quite rare, but my, my cycle's bang on. So like, I know exactly what my dates are. Um, and she said, well, in that case, it's possible that the baby's just not got enough, or pregnancy has not got enough space to grow um, because it's either attached in near your scar tissue. So it's just not able to grow mm. properly. Um, and then we got taken into what, what, well, I don't know what other people call it, but I called it the sad room. Um, because we were sitting obviously waiting to see what was going to happen and you know nice nice room we've got lots of leaflets and things so we were just sitting in there waiting yeah. and then she sort of come in and said um, okay you're going to have to come back later this week to see the consultant um, we're going to have to have you back on, on Friday um, but in the meantime obviously if you know if you get any pain or um, anything like that then you know you, you'll need to come into any so just sort of went home and this was on the Monday um and the consultant appointment was going to be on the friday so just had to sit and then wait with my thoughts and, and lots of googling which i thought probably wasn't a good idea because there wasn't really much about yeah. this online yeah i was going to say what what did mm. you find when you googled because there, there really isn't a lot is there 
No, there's not. There's a lot of um, all I did really find at that point because I still didn't really know that it was topic. But yeah, I did go. Yeah, I did mums, net net mums, all of those, um, and did find a few people talking about their experiences. But I also found some sort of some medical studies from the from America, um, which I think was the mm-hmm. worst thing I could have read because they were sort of talking. I was going to say was yeah. Was that helpful at all or not? I think um, my husband said I shouldn't have looked at any of it. (laughs) Um, But I'm the sort of person that wants to know every tiny little detail um, because that's what's going to help me cope. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. It might be really good that um, I needed to know as much as possible. So I guess it helped a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, with regards to knowing all the detail, I think I'm someone who has to know all the detail even if I know it's going to hurt me or make me feel like shit, I have to know it. So I know exactly what I'm dealing with because it's only when you know everything, you can start to sort of work out where you are in your head with it. I, that's my personal opinion. No, completely. Elaine, I wanted to ask you about um, your symptoms. So we're always told to look out for symptoms of ectopic pregnancies. The, um, so pain and bleeding and the, the shoulder tip pain. Um, what did you have? Was it just the bleeding that you experienced? Uh, so I didn't have um, a shoulder tip pain. I didn't have um, really any pain at all, um, which was what I knew about ectopic. So it would never cross my mind that that was all it was. Um, looking back, one symptom I did have, which I think is linked to ectopic pregnancies, although this is me going back to all my research at the time, so I won't stand behind any of what I'm saying, but... <laughs> Um, is that I was having sort of like stomach issues, like with extreme bloating to the point where I felt like I was way further gone than I was. And um, really yeah. having like problems like with the toilet and stuff, um, like really constipated and stuff. And I, that and the bleeding was literally all that I had. But at the time, I remember thinking it didn't feel like my last pregnancy. But you always mm-hmm. hear, you know, every pregnancy is different. So I didn't think for one second that that meant there was any problem um so if I hadn't have started bleeding I don't think I would have even done anything about it yeah it's interesting because I've had two ectopics and um one of them all I had was bleeding no pain um and the other one um nothing like they just found it on a scan right so I just think it's really important that people are are aware that you know, to get to seek help and to get checked out because, um, you know, we, we all think, oh, if, it's, if we haven't got shoulder tip pain, then it's probably okay. But actually, not necessarily. And it's, you know, life threatening. So, yeah, exactly. I completely just, agree. Yeah. So, what happened in that four days where you were waiting to see the consultant? That must have been torture. Yeah, it was, um, I think, I I just wish I'd asked a lot more questions at the first appointment because I still didn't really know exactly what it was or what it meant. I didn't know if there would be options or if it was like a one-way street to, you know, the end of the pregnancy. And because I I knew there was a heartbeat, all I kept thinking was, am I going to have to make a decision on this? I don't want to make that decision. Mm. Um, And I was just so, I think, to be honest, at that point I hadn't registered that I was going to lose the pregnancy all I kept thinking was is I'm so frightened because I didn't want to have surgery I'd never been put out I'd never been hospitalized really apart from having my son so I was just really selfishly all I could think about was myself and I was just really scared um and just spent mm. a lot of uh, so I was off work sick so I just sat there crying all day 
basically um and not really I think the hormones probably were messing around with me as well but I just didn't really I didn't really know what's going to happen so it's quite scary did anyone ask you or tell you like I know that you said there were the leaflets and stuff and they're usually in our experience and from what we've heard from other people it's like a a piece of white paper folded with some writing on it but did you have any any information from the hospital that you could read and process or were you literally just left with nothing I don't I don't remember having anything I remember having absolutely no clue I don't know if that was because they weren't even completely sure themselves I mean she said to me that she'd only seen I think she said she'd only seen one case like that before um in her time and so there was just nothing I suppose there was nothing that would have applied that I would have that would have been able to give me any sense so the warriorship we wanted to come and tell you a little bit about it didn't we bex and in case you're already going why we don't want to know about a fucking ship the warriorship is our online membership for warriors in this community it's packed full of stuff so we just want to tell you about some of the stuff all of the content from all of the courses that we ever run is in the warriorship so there's loads to get your teeth into and we are also developing modules for what happens after but not only that we've also got a ton of educational workshops running once a month in the coming months we have got body positivity workshop gratitude workshop and loads 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 more and on top of that we also have a resident mental health specialist and on top of that if that wasn't enough there's 13 events every month and there's stuff popping up all the time as well that other people are organizing that you can be a part of so it really is thriving and all you have to do is head to the link in our bio or visit our website and you can be a part of this too. We'd love to see you there. And then, so what did you, What? how was your, did your husband take time off work for those four days as well? Did you kind of spend some time together or were you literally just sat at home by yourself? Uh, I think so. He was working, but he um, could work from home and stuff like that. So he was around quite a bit. So even if he was working and I was sort of watching telly or in bed, I knew that he was there. Um, I remember one evening yeah. he was due to go out because um, we were right on top of Christmas. So it was like his Christmas party or whatever. Um, and I, of course, had done that thing right up until the last minute of saying, no, it's absolutely fine. You can definitely go and, and you know, you should do that. That's fine. And then when it like came to it, I was like, no, you can't, you can't leave me. I can't stop crying. You can't leave me. Um, so he just cancelled all of his plans and stayed at home. Um, so, yeah, it, I mean, it was really helpful having him around. Mm. And how did you find trying to, to trying to be a mum in that in that sort of space in that window of time? Because that it's an incredible pressure, isn't it? When you've lost a baby and you have living children as well to to be a mum to, it's difficult to show up and know how to to handle it. Yeah, I think um, one of the mistakes I made as soon as I found out I was pregnant, and this comes back to me being quite naive, really. Um, I I said to my son, "There's you know, there's a baby in mummy's tummy." So he would point to my tummy and go, mm. "Oh." And so one, I think one of the evenings during that week, he pointed to my tummy and was like, "Oh, you know, baby." And and I, I just sort of I didn't I didn't say anything. And I thought, if we don't keep talking about it, he's going to forget. And and luckily he did, because um, he was still quite young. Mm. Um, but yeah, it it was really hard because it was it you know it made me it helped me keep strong when he was around because obviously I had to look after him and just had to do what I needed to do day to day but I also felt because I had him 
well, I felt I felt selfish for being upset because I had him and other people aren't that lucky. So, you know, I felt I felt bad for even feeling as bad as I did. But I also felt really aware, therefore, of what I was losing because I'd had a pregnancy and I had my son. I was also then really aware of that. And it, I think it was just yeah. so many different emotions all, all at once. And so what was what happened on the Friday when you went in to see the consultant? Because normally the management of an ectopic is um to the surgical management is to remove the tubes but i guess if it's in the seat in the cesarean scar obviously they can't remove a tube because that wouldn't help so what what options were you given and what did the consultant say so when i was looking online i'd seen anything from um using the that the, the medicine is it methotrexate or something? yeah so I'd seen that, mm-hmm. that that was one way of treating it I'd seen surgery was a way of treating it and I've seen that in some cases some people as part of these studies I'd read refused treatment and then carried on through the pregnancy and then there was various stats on what had happened in those pregnancies after that so I went into the wow yeah what were those stats I I can't remember the exact details but I think it was um something like certain amount of women lost the pregnancy the, the pregnancy ended naturally some preg- uh, some of the pregnancies continued but delivered very early and had to have an emergency cesarean and I'd even seen things and obviously this is worst case scenarios when you're on google um and I'm aware of that but like, I was even seeing yeah. things like you know women at the end needing hysterectomies or it being life-threatening because the risk of yeah. rupture of your um, scar tissue so I had absolutely no idea what was going to happen when I went into that appointment um, so we yeah. turned up on the Friday morning and unfortunately the consultant was um, really busy because um, he obviously they were they were fitting me in so they said um, you know you're going to need to go away and come back later on today and so I remember saying to my husband I'm not going home I'm not going home until I know what's happening so we went to a shopping centre and just walked around the shops went into Costa's and had coffee and stuff like that because I said I, I can't go home now until I've had I'm like I'm not leaving until I've got an answer I just couldn't handle it anymore um but then they called me back so because I was starting to panic that they wouldn't fit me in um but they called me back um and he scanned me again and he said yeah it's confirmed it's cesarean scar ectopic um and he he didn't really give me any choices he just said um we're booking you in for surgery on Monday um and I think they called it surgical management but I think it's what used to be called a a, a DNC perhaps I'm not sure um mm-hmm. so he said that would be on the Monday and that's what that's what we're going to do and you know um come back here I think I had to have some blood tests come back in on Monday morning um pack an overnight bag because you might have to stay um and yeah we'll see you then and then said you know if if in the meantime you get any pain or the bleeding gets more severe you just need to come straight to a and e so i spent all weekend panicking that I, you know was on the brink of it or whatever and then went back in on the monday for the surgery wow and how did you cope that weekend um i think i was just really frightened i'd never been i'd never been put to sleep before i'd never been through well apart from the cesarean i'd never been through surgery i just was again quite selfishly very frightened um and not really thinking about mm. anything else at that point but i also because Again, there was still, at that point on the Friday, there was still a heartbeat. So in my mind, I was going in for termination on the Monday. And that that really messed with me, with, with my head, because all I kept thinking was, is should I push to ask if there was a choice here? Do I, is there a choice or 
Um, but realistically, there was, I mean, there was never really choice. Obviously, I had to protect, you know, myself. But it just, I think that made it so much harder for me knowing that I was having to, I was having to make that decision. Yeah. I mean, you know, when, remember when all of the Roe v. Wade stuff came out in America? Yes. And um, people were talking about um, about ectopics and using that as an example. Yeah. But, but, I mean, that would have, you wouldn't have been able to have that procedure exactly that when that when that news came out I was it, it was de- I, I was devastated when I heard that news um for that very reason because I thought if that mm. if that had been me I, yeah I'm, I could have I could have died because mm. I guess usually when people have a surgical management of miscarriage it's because the there is no heartbeat right mm. yeah and it's not viable for for that reason but your one wasn't viable for a different reason so um I can imagine that must be really awful going into that surgery and I I know um, I'm sure many people who've had surgical managements before I I remember going into one of mine and thinking can you just check can you just do one last scan and just check that it's definitely not grown Mm. it's not developed a heartbeat and just trying to sort of bargain um, with I don't know who but you know just trying to sort of find some some sort of um reason yeah, I guess but when you're going in knowing that there is a heartbeat that's fucking horrendous yeah it was it was awful mm. did they talk to you about what uh what was going to happen afterwards and what you know the the, the products the baby but you know they call the products what what would what would be done with that or what would they what they would expect to see they, they didn't tell me I do wish now that I'd ask a lot more questions I think I was so frightened that I just went with the process um, and I'm not even the, sort of the impression I have of it now is I'm not even sure that they knew what was going to happen in that themselves because when they were taking me down, they said to me, "Oh, um, you know, there there could be a lot of blood loss. We're not sure, you know, if this if if that's not successful, we might have to." And I can't remember what word to use, but in my mind, we might have to, it was him saying we might have to open you up. Um, and we'd have to put a tube down your throat. So if you wake up and you've yeah. got a sore throat, it's because you've had a tube down your throat and, and so on. Um, so as even as I was going down, I I didn't really know exactly what was going to happen. And they certainly never mentioned. Um, and that's one thing I wondered, having listened to po- your podcast since then, is why I, I they, we never had that conversation. But I suppose I suppose there was it, they weren't going to test anything or anything like that. And I never said or what are you going to do with it, or anything like that, or have I got any options here? Um, so it, it never, we never even discussed it. Yeah, I think you don't know to ask those questions, or don't know that you you you, you you're entitled to ask those questions, and, and until you hear these sorts of discussions, right? I never asked about any of mine apart from the two that were sent off for testing, and I remember waking up going, "Did you take? Have you got the stuff for testing? Remember, you've got to you don't throw it away. You've got to got to get it tested." But yeah, I've got a clue. Whatever happened to to anything else? Yeah. And I'm a health professional. <laughs> I was too scared to ask. It's um, it's crazy. But by talking about this, other people will hear it, and and hopefully it gives them the courage to ask in the future. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. So Elaine, I was going to ask. I know that um like understandably we're so worried about what it meant for you and you know having an ectopic pregnancy and going into surgery and that sort of stuff usually when we have surgery we know it's going to happen like if you have a broken bone for example you know you have a date and you even with a c-section you usually have a date unless it's an emergency you have a date and you know what's going to happen you know the procedure but with this 
I always feel like with ectopic, you're sort of sailing along through pregnancy and you you have that excitement, the hormones and all that. And then suddenly you're faced with this really, really frightening experience. You You probably don't get the opportunity to grieve for the loss of the baby because you're so busy thinking about what's going to happen to you and the surgery and the procedure. So yeah. was there a point where the fact that you'd lost your baby sort of hit you? And, and if so, when was that? I think it was after the surgery, um, but I don't think it fully hit me until a lot later, until sort mm. of even when I was coming up for when the due date would have been, and then when it hit the sort of one year mark of when it would have happened. I think at first I was so sort of numb to what happened. And I mean, when I got home from surge, from the surgery, because I did, they did in the end, I got home that day, I was really lucky that it went so well. But when I got home, I had the sort of letter for the scan sat there waiting for me when I got home and I, I, the mm. next day I had to call them up and say I, you need to cancel the scan I don't need that and I think because I was on top of Christmas and we were you know trying to keep everything normal for my son none of it really registered at that point and then I went back to work and it took quite a while for, for it, me to register what had happened. And how are you now? What how, how has it affected you with wanting to um, try again? uh really mixed feelings um so after it after it happened um I decided you know I said you know I'm, I'm never doing that again I, I I could never put myself through that again I'm not doing that and then yeah. we it got it got to the due date um and one of my friends had a, had a baby right around the time I was due and I found that really hard and then I sort of seemed to recover again and then I got to the one year point, that Christmas point, and I completely fell to pieces. And at the time, I couldn't work out why, because it wasn't the due date. It wasn't, you know, there was nothing about that time. Um, and then I was reading your book after, and I, there was a there was a bit in there quite near the start where you sort of talk about that, the, you know, that that moment of when you reach that one year and how hard that can be. And that actually made me feel so much better because I honestly thought I was losing my mind. But at that point, I decided the only way that I was going to get over it was to have another baby. And that was going to fix everything. And that I would suddenly feel okay again if I was to get pregnant. Um, and my husband sort of sat me down and said, I, I don't think that's I don't think that's a good way of coping with it. Um, and I'd booked this big holiday to sort of help sort of distract me and, and everything else. So he sort of said, you know, let's just wait. Let's have the big holiday. Let's let everything calm down. And then when you're in a better place, we can we can have, you know we can talk about it again. Um, so I think now I'm I'm in a really good place at the moment. Um, I'm feeling a lot stronger. I'm feeling you know that's why I wanted to do this because you know I really want other people to be aware of that type of um, that type of loss and understand what's you know what's happening to them if they're going through that as well. So I feel like I'm in a really good place at the moment. Um, but it's it feels like it's unfinished business. Because on one hand, I don't necessarily know if I want to go through it all again or put myself through that risk, but I also can't close that chapter. And it, it feels like it's either way. I need to make a decision either way because for me, I can't I can't quite carry on until I, I we either try again or I close the door. So yeah, it feels like we're I'm slightly in limbo at the moment. I reckon there are an awful lot of people that can relate to that feeling. <laughs> Definitely. And when you say that that's not a good way of coping, your husband said that's not a good way of coping. I mean, he's probably right. But 
I would guarantee that at least 80% of people who listen to this podcast will have thought the same. Um, you know, just need to have another one. That's how I'll get over this. That's how it will make me feel better. So it's very, very common um, if if maybe not not the best coping strategy. <laughs> very common. <laughs> so Elaine, you've got, and you've got that holiday coming up, haven't you? Your um, The holiday that was your therapy. And we were talking about it just for the, the um, recording. Like there's something really, really, I find, therapeutic about plunging your time into into planning something and like every last detail and that's a therapy in itself isn't it I suppose it's a distraction it's something to completely immerse yourself in Um, I've become so obsessed with this holiday it's all I think it's and again this I'm not saying this is a you know not a healthy way of of coping with with anything but it's just become a distraction for me and yeah once that's over then I'll probably will have to (laughs) have another think about where I am but for now so where are you going then where is this wonderful holiday uh, I'm, going everyone to, jealous. <laughs> I'm going to florida lovely yeah beautiful mm. in the summer yeah yeah we're going this summer so well uh late may so yeah springtime into summer but um yeah i'm excited <laughs> but you um during your your struggles laura you you planned a wedding didn't you your yeah wedding. and that was a distraction <laughs> Yeah, 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 it's true. Was it helpful? Did it distract you? Um, it it did distract me. Um, yeah, we always said that we'd get married, but we we decided that having a baby was the priority. And when it when it turned out that that wasn't it wasn't our decision when we had a baby, um, we literally just shook hands and said, "Fuck it, let's get married." Um, and he proposed ten days before the wedding. <laughs> um, but we started planning the wedding nine, nine months before. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it did help. It was a distraction, and I think do, do you know, like it, it's it's a it's a real distraction. Even down to being sat on the sofa watching telly, scrolling through your phone yeah. instead of scrolling and being triggered by other stuff or googling things that you shouldn't be googling. You can just look for, um, you know, table centerpieces. <laughs> that can be your evening. Yeah. Looking at shit like that, just anything to to distract you. Yeah, Pinterest is like your new best mate. <laughs> exactly, gives yeah. you a focus. I go usually go. I go down yeah. the tattoo. Um, yeah, I go down the tattoo rabbit hole these days. I'm like, oh, <laughs> where else in my body have I got room for a tattoo? Where's my next one? Well, you're not be? planning a new one, are you, mate? I've had one without telling you. <laughs> you haven't I had a little sly one, yeah, a couple of weeks ago. Really? Yeah, on the back of my arm. Oh. Why why did you not tell me? Well, I didn't not tell you on purpose. God, I wasn't expecting this inquisition. I just forgot. It was like a... I just forgot. I forgot, all right? (laughs) (laughs) But can you do me a favour, Laura? If I suggest it to you, I probably... I'll be secretive about it now anyway because you scared me, but I I don't need any more at the moment, so... If I start mentioning it, can you just remind me that I've said that I don't need any more right now? Mate, you can do whatever you like. If you start having tattoos on your face, I might say, come <laughs> really, Bex, are you sure about this? But otherwise, go for it. I mean, I'm too scared to get tattoos, so I'm living my life through you. Okay, vicariously. I like that. But I just think I'm going to make a shit decision right now. So just stop me right now. Leave me. <laughs> let me Let me go another couple of months. Okay. 
<laughs> well, Elaine, it's been lovely chatting to you and I hope you have the holiday of a lifetime and that when you set off down this treacherous road of trying to conceive again, that, um, you know, it's it's a smooth one for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for having yeah. me today. Um, I really do hope it helps someone if they find themselves in the same situation. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. You know where we are if you need us. We're just hanging out in, in our DMs and stuff all the time. So, yeah, message anytime. I will do. Thank you so much. All right. Lovely. All right. Take care. It's been a pleasure. Keep in touch. Let us know how you get on. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.